Cerebral is an online mental health service that offers prescription medication, counseling, and therapy for anxiety, depression, ADHD, insomnia, and more. Cerebral is one of the few services that provides prescription medication online through a licensed provider and ships medication straight to your door. You can schedule sessions based on what's most convenient for you, and you don't have to wait weeks to be seen. And BuzzFeed Daily listeners can receive 65% off your first month of medication management and care counseling at Cerebral.com slash BuzzFeed. Go to Cerebral.com slash BuzzFeed for 65% off your first month. Join Cerebral today on their mission to make quality mental health care accessible and affordable for all. I'm Colleen Witt. Join me, the host of Eating While Broke podcast, while I eat a meal created by self-made entrepreneurs, influencers, and celebrities over a meal they once ate when they were broke. Today, I have the lovely AJ Crimson, the official princess of Compton, Asia. Kidding, and Asia. This is The Professor. We're here on Eating While Broke, and today I'm going to break down my meal that got me through a time when I was broke. Listen to Eating While Broke on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Open to all teams and players, the NFL's Inspire Change Initiative acknowledges the ways that systemic racism contributes to barriers to opportunity and equality and focuses on ongoing efforts on creating progress in the areas of education, economic advancement, community and police relations, and criminal justice reform. To learn more about the NFL's commitment to ensuring a more equal and just future, text NFLIC to 635635. It takes all of us to advance social justice. Matt James is calling out the Bachelor franchise on Instagram. Is this the most embarrassing tattoo of all time? We'll let you be the judge. And we're joined by Elamine Abdul Mahmoud to discuss the end of Kimye. It's February 23rd, 2021. Hey, friends, I'm Casey Rackham. And I'm Zach Stafford. Welcome to BuzzFeed Daily. So I think today is a good day for us just to point out a reality that we are all in, and that is that we have passed 500,000 people in America who have died from COVID-19. And that is just, I know we talked about this over a year ago, that this was a possibility. I just didn't, I don't think I really thought we would get here, but but we are here. We're here. And I feel like, unfortunately, the number is so large that people can't understand it and therefore it's not impacting them as much as it should. That That is an obscenely big number. My God. Yeah. I mean, just to put this in context, that is the population of Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta, Georgia. This is bigger than Salt Lake City. Like Salt Lake City is 200, 250,000. So it's like two Salt Lake Cities in terms of like the actual urban population. So it's just a, a large amount of people. And like you said, it's just a huge number. And because it's so spread out, people aren't really thinking about it. But we do need to take a moment and really process that because these are 500,000 people that should not be gone, but they are. So it is. And it's surrounding us every day. But yes, to just like take a moment to really let it sink in. And, you know, it feels kind of silly for me to say, like, we're moving on to The Bachelor now, but you know what? It's actually, this news isn't that much better, to be honest. Um, yeah, let's go there. Let's go there. <laughs> we're talking about Matt James, who is The Bachelor on this season of the show, and he just left a very vulnerable Instagram note for all of us to sit with. And this is the first time that he's spoken out. Uh, he's finally issued a statement about what's going on with Rachel Kirkconnell. She's the contestant who attended an antebellum-themed party and got caught liking imagery with the Confederate flag on social media. Writing, quote, 
The reality is that I'm learning about these situations in real time, and it has been devastating and heartbreaking, to put it bluntly. He also addressed host Chris Harrison's attempt to defend Kirkconnell in a conversation with former Bachelorette Rachel Lindsay, writing, quote, Chris's failure to receive and understand the emotional labor that my friend Rachel Lindsay was taking on by graciously and painfully explaining the racist history of the antebellum South, a painful history that every American should understand intimately, was troubling and painful to watch. As Black people and allies immediately knew and understood, it was a clear reflection of a much larger issue that the Bachelor franchise has fallen short on addressing adequately for years. Keeping in mind that fantasy suites are coming up soon and Rachel is still in the running, the ending of this season of The Bachelor could be very thorny. I mean, like, Zach, it's no surprise, but, you know, at this point, people are really assuming that he picks Rachel. And the question is now, assuming he picks Rachel, there's then going to be an After the Final Rose episode, which is, are we going to see him ending things with Rachel? I mean, how is, it is unfortunate, as he says, he's learning this in real time, he's taking this in, and he's going to have to decide, like, this is the person I potentially chose to spend the rest of my life with, and I'm finding out these horrible things. I, this makes me want to watch the show. <laughs> and I also find this to be the most perfect route for the first Black Bachelor. Because what we've been saying is that, you know, white supremacy, racism are these systems that are underlying everything. They're undercurrents that drive everything. And people have said that, you know, the Bachelor's not that way. It's just a coincidence that they're all white. <laughs> but of course, when we finally have a Black Bachelor and we get to see people speak authentically about America and race around them, we see kind of these, these cracks reveal themselves. So I think it's all kind of perfect as like a black person of a mixed experience a mixed background like this is exactly what happens mm -hmm. in interracial moments mm -hmm. and i'm glad it's here perfectly we, we have said. arrived yep <laughs> All right. Meanwhile, there's a trend going around on TikTok for people to share the most embarrassing tattoo they've ever gotten. And Kentucky's Leah Holland takes the cake here. This is mostly due to unfortunate timing. So let's have Leah take it away. What is the dumbest tattoo that you've ever gotten? Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and let you guys know that I won. Um, so I got this tattoo. Um, I've wanted it for a couple of years. Basically means like, you know, being true to yourself and real and like not pretending to be something you're not. I got this March 4th, 2020. And it says, courageously and radically refuse to wear a mask. Holland got it two days before Kentucky went into lockdown, and she didn't expect the anti-mask movement to gain as much steam as it did. For the record, Leah is very pro-mask when it comes to COVID. Oh, man, Zach, I can't stop. <laughs> you were trying to keep your laughter in. It's so bad, and she knows how bad it is. Okay, real talk right now. Would you get it removed? Because I would. <laughs> I would already be at the doctor. I'd be in recovery right now. This would not, no, no. She should have gone and got this done. I'm sorry. For the rest of our lifetime, people will know what that means if they see that on her. Yeah. Like there's no, and you don't want to have to explain that. It immediately is going to label her as an anti-masker. So she needs to make a decision. <laughs> One thousand percent. Girl, be on the right side of history here. You have a great excuse. Now just get it done. Launch the GoFundMe. If that young woman could get her hair redone off GoFundMe, you can have this taken down. I believe in the power of the internet and it will save you. So good luck. <laughs> Moving on, we're talking about Kim and Kanye today. Their impending divorce has been getting nonstop coverage since the news broke on Friday. And as with any celebrity split, this coverage has been a little gleeful and maybe a little mean. But maybe we should try and be a little more delicate in this situation. Because let's be real, Kanye's been going through some stuff, and therefore so has Kim. 
To talk about this, we're bringing in El Amin Abdul Mahmoud. He wrote the piece, Kanye West is publicly struggling. We need to give him grace back in July. Hi, Elamine. Welcome back. Howdy, friends. How's it going? Oh, great. So happy to have you here again. Thank you. So the news dropped on Friday that Kim was officially filing for divorce from Kanye after six years of marriage and four kids together. And, you know, it isn't particularly surprising news, but it's received nonstop coverage. What was your initial reaction to it? I immediately went to Kanye's 2018 album, Yay, and I went to Wouldn't Leave, a song that Kanye wrote about how Kim would never leave, and but their sturdy relationship, and I just played it, and wow. I I was like emotional. I was really sad about this. I mean, like this is a big deal. I was. It's it's not like other celebrity marriages in the sense that like like nobody's rooting for like Gwen and Blake. You know what I mean? But like people are rooting for for Kim and Kanye. So, Sorry to Gwen and Blake stands out there. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's because we have, you know, culturally invested so much in the two of them, Um, but especially Kanye West. Like Kanye West has been the soundtrack to all of our lives forever. And he is, you know, beyond his politics or the things he says in public, he is a genius. It's verified. And, you know, this past summer, you wrote this piece that we're talking about today where you were like, let's give him a break. So what pushed you to want to do that, that piece? Because so many people were not willing to give him that break that you're you're asking us to give him. That piece was inspired by the conversation around this incident where Kanye was talking about how he's running for president. And on stage, he talked about how he and Kim were having a conversation about having an abortion for their first daughter, North, and also about this like piece of history, I guess, where uh, he said that his dad tried to convince his mom to have an abortion. And then he just kind of like had a breakdown and he cried. At the same incident, he said, um, Harriet Tubman never freed the slaves. She just sent them to work for other white people. And of course, like that became the clip. Like that became the clip that was shared everywhere. And I just was really bothered by this repeated pattern of people taking Kanye for his most outlandish, like picking the most outlandish, erratic moment. A moment where he's clearly publicly struggling, having um, an issue with um, mental illness, which he's talked about for years and years and taking that to be a representation of him and it's never like the moment a few months later when he is having a moment of clarity and he expresses um, how he's sorry, uh, he expresses how he's lonely and how he doesn't have the necessary support system behind him. Those are never the moments where we zero in on Kanye and what he's talking about. It's always like these like height of erratic moments and neither one is working. Picking these like really sympathetic moments is obviously not enough but also picking these erratic moments is just like not the totality of Kanye. It doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. And, you know, looking back at your piece, which was the summer, which feels like, you know, years ago now in this pandemic life, do you feel that your argument still holds up? And do you think it's even more maybe pressing it today as he goes through a divorce? Honestly, yes. Hunter Harris has this great thing that she says in her newsletter where she says that Kanye is about to become the most divorced man in America. And I think that's true. There is like a vibe of a divorced dad that could be really funny. And like the trope of the divorced dad is this like person who's kind of struggling to get their life together, etc. And I get that. And I think that's accurate. But there is a danger, I think, in representing Kanye as this person who's incapable of taking care of himself, as this person who is couldn't kind of go like unchecked completely. And when those moments happen, 
we kind of miss him for the person that he is. Like, I remember in 2016, when he had that psychiatric emergency, when he was admitted to UCLA, it was around the ninth anniversary of Don DeWest's death, his mother's death. That was when he had that psychiatric emergency. There was this interview once where he was asked, hey, you know, what did you have to sacrifice to, to get to LA to make it here? And his answer was my mother, um, because his mom died um, getting surgery that she got after she moved to LA. And he feels like he's personally responsible for her death. He feels like his dreams and what he's accomplished, he had to give up his mother to do that. I don't know about the kind of trauma that that inflicts upon you and you have to carry around for years and years. But I do know that it's very dangerous to completely overlook the fact that he's carrying this trauma and he kept talking about it over and over again. Yeah. And I'm glad you bring up the fact that he talked a lot in public. And that's what's kind of got him in trouble for years, that he talks a lot. But I will say that since Kim has begun to hint that she was going to divorce him, and now that the divorce actually happened, it's been kind of a slow drip, and we haven't heard a lot from Kanye. So what are you noticing in media coverage around Kanye and his maybe his story right now? Well, there's a desperation to hear from him. Like, there's a desperation to hear what, what story he has to tell. And if you remember, there was, like, that sort of burst of tweets about his contract, that his record contract and how he just like, he basically tweeted a screenshot of every single page of his record contract. And he was like, lawyers, I need you to get me out of this. And so he's clearly someone who is having troubles around his agency and how he's represented right now. I don't know to the extent what those troubles are because he hasn't talked about them, but there is, it's like a massive gap that is unfilled. Um, and at the same time, we know enough about the Kardashian brand to know that I don't know what kind of NDA this man has signed, you know, because clearly the divorce is going to be one of the plot points of the next season. It is a little bit nuts, I will say, to talk about a divorce as a plot point of a show. And I think that is part of the power of the Kardashians, you know, to be able to like slow drip these things out as a tea. Like this is a trailer right now that we're watching, you know, for, for this new season that's coming up. And it does speak to their power and the ways of the transformed Hollywood. I remember him tweeting a screenshot of his conversation with Kris Jenner. And he said, like, this is what white supremacy looks like. I don't know what that's all about. I would like to hear more about this and the fact that we're not hearing more about this is like frustrating and of course it just lets people lean on the already established Kanye is erratic narrative without kind of you know getting to hear more about it yeah and just you know I just have to point out something you kind of bring up in this is that the machine of the Kardashians is always in play and the best way for you folks listening to always track this machine is to look at sourcing of comments you're always going to see it's E or the networks in which they work with you do not see the New York Times you do not see BuzzFeed News it's always a very controlled media mm -hmm. machine there so just some like media literacy there on the sourcing <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay so you've noted that one thing Kim always has around her is her family you know, it's a machine, but it's also her family. And the Kardashians are there for support whenever she falls on hard times. Does Kanye have a similar support system? And if so, do we know how they're helping him through this? As far as we know from Kanye, Kanye is alone. Like, Kanye is someone who needs people around him. Like, I remember the incident um, in 2018 when Kanye went to TMZ and said that slavery was a choice. That, of course, it got so much attention. People were like, look, Kanye's doing it again. The Kanye circus is open for business. Um, and then just a few months later, he went to his hometown, uh, went to Chicago, went on Chicago radio, and he cried. And he cried and he wept and he said, I didn't have Don C with me. And Don C was his longtime manager no longer his manager. Don C it was his best man at his wedding. And he said, 
the people around me right now are people who are just here because like the money's good. Like like I'm I'm making money and the money's good. Someone like Don C was someone who cared about me and the fact that he wasn't there, like Don C would have stopped something like that from happening. I don't know what it's like to know yourself well enough to know that sometimes your mental illness is going to get you in trouble and you need the right people around you and then not have those people around you. But it's one of the things that he said in that interview is that, you know, the Kardashian family is constantly around. Like they're always constantly around each other. They they move as, as some sort of unit. They always kind of know what the other, you know, end of the unit is doing. Kanye is not that kind of figure. One of the most affecting moments of last year when he was kind of having this big, very public breakdown was Dave Chappelle flying down to Wyoming to see him. And like Kanye just looked so happy, so desperate to see someone who cared about him genuinely and like wasn't there for the money. Like Dave Chappelle has money. He didn't need to go see Kanye, but he was doing that. We don't know who else is around Kanye right now. We just like have this idea every once in a while we'll like tweet pictures of just random people in his studio or random people at his ranch. But like we don't know the relationship that he has with these people because they're constantly changing. And he feels, or at least he said as recently as 2018, that so many of those people are around because the Kanye machine is profitable. We'll be right back to talk more about Kim, Kanye, and looking at all of this through the lens of Framing Britney, the documentary. Fit. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. The NFL playoffs are here, and the Super Bowl is right around the corner. You can follow the action like a fan, or you can prep like a scout if you listen to the award-winning Move the Six podcast. The show is hosted by me, Daniel Jeremiah, and my partner, Bucky Brooks. The two of us bring knowledge from careers as NFL talent scouts to the podcast world so fans can watch and understand the nuances of the game like never before. After the Super Bowl, it's draft season. If you want to go in-depth on this year's prospects and learn what makes the top players stand out, there's no better podcast than Move the Sticks. We'll break down film from the professional and college games so you can know which player to look out for when the football season returns next fall. You'll learn a ton about the NFL, and I promise we'll make it fun along the way. We'll have several new episodes dropping each week, and you don't want to miss a single one. Subscribe now and listen to the Move the Sticks podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Paris Hilton. Last year, I revealed the story of my abuse at Provo Canyon School. Since then, thousands of survivors have come forward. Now, I'm on a mission to expose the truth of the entire industry. In this weekly investigative podcast, me and my host, Rebecca Mellinger and Caroline Cole, will examine one infamous teen treatment facility each season. First up, Provo Canyon School. This one is personal. When you first get there, you have to experience girls screaming, locked up, peeing themselves, in the hallway sleeping. And you're like, where am I? Holy heck, this is not what I expected. 
Listen to Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. We're talking with Elamine Abdul Mahmoud about Kimye's divorce. Okay, we want to point out you're not talking about clearing Kane of all responsibility here. He said and done a lot of hurtful things. You wrote that when talking about Kanye, we need, quote, a language that explains but doesn't excuse, a language that contextualizes but doesn't absolve when it comes to discussing his mental health. So can you dive into that sentiment more? For sure. I think, you know, one one objection that often comes up in terms of defending Kanye is that, like a lot of people say, look, lots of people live with mental health issues and they don't do things that are as hurtful as Kanye does. And that is 100% true. But nobody should be looking to absolve as in to say, like, he didn't mean that. He was just dealing with something really tough. Because, of course, yes, lots of people are dealing with something tough. But what does accountability look like when we're talking about people we love who are going through something very publicly? Like, that might look like saying, A, are they getting the care that they need right now? And B, do they have the people around them who can provide that care on a consistent basis? Because like sometimes they could be in a really good period, but like it might not be necessarily sustained. And you look at the differences between what they say when they have that care and what they say when they don't have that care. And you certainly take great pains to not take them at their worst, just as you don't take them at their best. Because at their best, you ought to expect an apology, some kind of of explanation, some kind of, this is what I was going through. And and, and for that matter, like, Cardi is very capable of doing this. I think he does this very well through his music. Like, I, I do think that, like, Kanye, the public figure versus Kanye, the, the musician, are, there's, there's some kind of difference because through his music, Kanye is filtered not just through raps, but also through, like, a writer's room. Like, he assembles a bunch of people who help him focus what he's trying to say. And so that's the place we can also, like, look to accountability there. Like, that's mm-hmm. I think that's one place we can start. You know, as you're saying that, Elamine, it makes me think about, I think a lot about the politics of care in public. Like, who we allow to care about, who we don't, who do we allow people to have grace, and who we don't give grace to. And I think so much about this politics of caring for celebrities is, like, this word accountability bringing up. You know, to call Kanye out is to call him in and to say, like, I'm going to take care of you now. Like, you're messing up and I want to take care of you. And it just feels like he's just not a person we're willing to do that work. Where other celebrities, like a Taylor Swift, there's an economy of care around her. Like, whenever something messes up, we will call her in, work with her, and work through it with her. So it's just, I just have to point that out. <laughs> and you know what, though? Like, that care applies in different degrees to different people. Like you said, like, it applies a lot to someone like Taylor Swift. It applies to a diminished degree to Kanye West, but it applies even less to someone like an Azealia Banks, for example. Like, yes. the way that we yes. talk about Azealia Banks is horrid. And it's, it's because, like, she's spoken about many of the same things, going through the same public struggles. But as a black woman, she's not given any amount of space for, for that grace. She's rarely allowed it again not to excuse any of her public actions but also like to contextualize them in the story that she has told us about what she has gone through yeah and i think so much about that is like celebrities are humans and they're complex and complicated and i think we don't allow some of them to be that way which i'll hand it off to casey because i think she has so much she wants to talk about that yes that we're allowing to be complicated let's (laughs) please talk about britney you know reading your piece now it's hard not to think about what we're all kind of coming to terms with when it comes to how britney spears was treated in the wake of the framing britney documentary i mean what similarities are there to their paths 
The biggest one I can think of is that they have both been robbed of agency in terms of how to represent themselves. Like, Britney has had this long narrative of like, well, she's just like a product of this pop machine. She doesn't have any opinions of her own, ability to make her own decisions. And one thing that was really like well corrected by that framing Britney documentary was this idea. She was like, no, no, no. Like, she calls the shots when it comes to her career. She calls the shots when it comes to like these elaborate dance moves. I think the same idea with Kanye in the sense like we've now arrived at a point where he has very little control over how he's portrayed because no matter what, he's always going to be chasing the last bad thing that was written about him. Um, so whether it's like the Harriet Tubman comment leading to the slavery is a choice comment leading all the way back to the Taylor Swift uh, moment, which was, you know, I guess like the genesis of all of this, because I would say even the moment where he was uh, portrayed as a rebel um, when he spoke out in 2006 after Hurricane Katrina by George Bush, this wasn't the same thing. You know, like that wasn't the same thing. He was seen as sort of this truth teller and nobody would attribute that moment to mental illness, for example. But then like, as you get later on, um, people are just very willing to say, no, 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 this man is like an erratic man. And like, this is the only way we should talk about him. I know we're out of time here, but I cannot let you go without bringing up one of the most, I think, important albums of our time, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy by Kanye West, 2010. So I, I know you've listened to it lately. Revisiting that work, how are you thinking about it now? How do you think it plays into this artist, the artist Kanye versus the person Kanye? I think something about that album and the chaos that he orchestrated and the way that he marshaled just like every like minute by minute of that album is just something so incredible for us to look back on. You know, I remember the American Mozart piece that was published in the Atlantic after that album came out. Like, this is how we talk about this man, because like he was able to achieve musical heights that like that album is still perfect from the minute you put it on press play all the way until the end. That is the person that Kanye is capable of being. And I do think that, you know, from that album, which is, I think, where he began to very slowly and very publicly control his unravelings. Like, I, it's not that he wasn't unraveling even then. That was This was a few years after his mother died. It's that he was able to tell that story in such like a lucid and creative way that you're like, this is a man who's capable always of being in control of his own emotions and his own narratives. And I actually think in some ways it's worked against him because it's like, you look at this album and go, well, this is a man who's so able to represent the internal chaos. So that must mean that everything that he's as he must mean. And it's like, that's not how mental illness works, you know? In many ways, um, creating such a towering piece of genius has become like the measuring stick that we use to kind of evaluate him after that. People have multitudes. Let's never yes. forget it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Elamine, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. That's it for today. Come back and join us tomorrow. And remember, someone needs to start this GoFundMe ASAP for Leah to get her tattoo removed. Come on, let's get on it. <laughs> I'll even throw some, some cash <laughs> your way. <laughs> All right, be sure to subscribe to BuzzFeed Daily on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to come back for more of what you love about BuzzFeed, coming to you daily. 
Have you ever felt depressed about work, only to have your dad be like, why are you so down? So you told him you hate your job, and he said, well, you better talk yourself out of it. And then you thought, hmm, I love to talk. I could host a podcast. And then you went to Spreaker from iHeart and started a podcast and got good at it, then monetized it, then quit your boring job, then told your dad, thanks for the advice. And he was like, well, that's not what I meant, and I don't understand what a podcast is, but you seem happy, so that's great, kiddo. You ever do that? Well, you could. At Spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. Ask your dad. You actually don't. Hello, hello. Hey, I don't know if you heard, but my podcast, Checking In, has been nominated for the NAACP Image Award in the category of Outstanding Lifestyle and Self-Help Podcast. I'm grateful for the nomination. I, I almost didn't even do a podcast because I was just wondering, there are thousands of podcasts out there and why is my voice needed? But a nomination from the NAACP lets me know that um, I made the right choice. And I encourage you to do, don't worry if there are thousands of something out that you want to do. No, nobody has your sauce. So listen, you can still vote. Go to vote.naacpimageawards.net. You have until February 5th, um, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And please listen to my podcast. We're a part of the Black Effect Podcast Network on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for checking in. You can watch the NFL playoffs like a fan, or you can prep like a scout if you listen to the award-winning Move the Sticks podcast. The show is hosted by me, Daniel Jeremiah, and my partner, Bucky Brooks. The two of us are bringing the knowledge from a career as NFL talent scouts to the podcast world so fans can watch and understand the nuances of the game like never before. We'll break down film from the professional and college game to get you ready for the Super Bowl, the draft, and kickoff next fall. Subscribe now and listen to the Move the Sticks podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.